I always really wanted to create something that kind of lived beyond me, that was bigger than me. And I can look at it now and I can say that I really did look to build a business where I could exit the business. That was always a plan. And whilst we ran for 12 years, which was, you know, a long time before we exited, it was always there. I was always thinking, right, if I'm ever going to actually sell this business, then I can't have my name above the door. Welcome to the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast, where we delve into the stories of successful entrepreneurs so you can discover what's possible. Today's guest is Robert Garish. Hey, this is Yarrow. Before I press play on today's episode of the EJ podcast, I'd like to invite you to download the latest version of my Blog Profits Blueprint, a free report available in audio and written text that will take you through an A to Z guide on how to set up a blog designed to be your main online marketing channel. I'll teach you how to grow your email list. I'll teach you how to grow your brand. And most importantly, how to make sales of your products and services using the power of blogging. It's been downloaded over 150,000 times already and is the starting point for many of the most popular bloggers you know today. You can get it for free from blogprofitsblueprint.com. Hello, this is Yara Stark and welcome to an Entrepreneur's Journey podcast interview. And today I've got what we can term a part two, or as my guest and I were saying just before, this is kind of like a bookend series. So a long time ago, 2005, in fact, which was the first year of this podcast and also the first year of my guest's business creation, we sat down to do an interview. Now, I'll I'll sort of spoil the surprise here. So my guest's name is Robert Garish, and his business at the time was a new, call it a content site called Flying Solo, focused on the Australian small business community. And I was actually trying to remember what we talked about (laughs) during that podcast. It was like 13 years ago. And recently, Robert has actually exited from that business. So I thought it's a great time to get him back on the show to complete the picture. How do you go from 2005 starting this content-based business to eventually selling it? So Robert, Mm. great to speak to you again. Oh, Yara, look, it's, it's, it, it doesn't seem like that long, but isn't it funny when we get our head down and we get busy, the time flies by and it certainly has. So I'm really happy to be talking with you again. It is scary how 13 years can feel like nothing, but it's 13 years. So, <laughs> so Robert, just for my sake, as well as the audience's sake, let's go back to 2005. And what exactly sure. did you start and what was the sort of purpose of flying solo? Yeah, that's, well, that's a great question. And it is so funny talking to you because I only just realized when we were having our little preamble that when I first spoke to you, I just started the business and just written a book. And as I speak to you now, I've just sold the business and just written a book. So I kind of bookended my business without even realizing it. But, but when we started, we started really as a consequence of writing a book. And when I say we, I'd been working on my own a couple of years up until starting Flying Solo, where I was basically helping individuals create very small sort of lifestyle businesses, I would say. In other words, businesses that suit the way they want to live. And that was definitely the spot I was in. 
And I really wanted to, having had some experience in marketing and the sort of promotions and design industry back in London, you know, I kind of realized I was onto something. I had my marketing hat on and I could see the more I talked about helping people run little lifestyle businesses, the more I noticed that people were really interested. Because in Australia at that time, and indeed even today, you know, well over 70% of Australian small businesses are one-person businesses, and seven out of 10 of those are what we would, what I would call lifestyle businesses. So they're not people lying around in hammocks with laptops, but they're people that are just working, running a business to support uh, potentially, in many cases, other revenue coming into the home, but wanting a business that, you know, allows them to live the way they want to live. And, you know, you spent time living over here, I know, Yarrow, so you will be well aware that that's, you know, a large part of the small business community are those kind of people. So that's what I started out kind of supporting those people through consulting and coaching. And then I got, was approached by a local newspaper to write a weekly column. And then that led very shortly thereafter to being approached by a publisher to ask if I'd write a book. And it was at about that time that I realized, hang on a minute, I'm onto something here. You know, as a slightly slow marketing person, I realized that there was a bit of a wave going on here and, and that I needed to kind of get on the wave and ride it. So this was at the time when websites or portals, that was the sexy mm. word of the day. Yes. <laughs> Before blogs became a word. Or Look smart. A word. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Look smart. Oh my gosh. That's a long time. Anyways. Ago. Yeah. So I started with, at that point, my first business partner, Sam Leader, Samantha Leader, who you know. We started writing for our own website. And then, of course, other people approached us and said, hey, would you publish my content? And so that turned into something just kind of evolved, you know, without any, I can't pretend there was any huge strategic design going on here. It was just kind of the way it happened. We're in the right place at the right time. And that just continued to grow. So then we had a lot of writers, we opened some online discussion forums, you know, and in a very short space of time, we became, you know, quite big. And we had, I think at the day we sold, we had 120 or 118,000 members, Australian members. You know, which is quite quite big for Australia, I guess. And you know, we had a lot of people writing, a lot of people in our forums, lots of say many thousands of members, and a really good little business. And you know, what kind of came out of that business in the early years was we started it very much as a sort of you know a bit of a love project. We were enjoying it. And then we realized, hey, you know what, we need to we need to make some money out of this because that wasn't the sort of the first things. I was still consulting and coaching. Sam was a freelance writer. So we, we had other little revenue streams. But when we decided to make the business start paying us, you know, we looked around and we realized that the advertising model was probably the best one for us, advertising or sponsorship, rather than trying to take money from our members, which was always going to be, a, you know, tricky one-person businesses don't want to spend an awful lot of money on something that was still in its sort of formative years. So we started with an advertising model and we uh, managed to retain the services of a, a really good local ad agency who represented us. And we grew and grew and built a, you know, a very nice viable business for the next 12 years. So yeah, and it's funny, up until the 
up until the day we sold it, we never actually employed anybody. We only worked with freelance people who would, were happily, you know, happy to spend a couple of hours helping us out, whether it was moderating our forums or writing content or tech work or design work. You know, we just had a small band of people, all sort of solo business people like us. So it always felt extremely sort of real and genuine because we were all living the thing that we were talking about. So it was a fantastic dozen years, I've got to tell you. I should probably stop talking for a minute. <laughs> I remember, Robert, when I first was introduced to your, your web presence, flyingsolo.com.au, I had come from a previous business experience running my card game business, which I think you know about, mm. my Magic the Gathering business, yep. which was very much based on a forum. So we had a, a community with people talking and trading cards. Then I get into blogging and I'll be honest, it was me writing all about me. You know, it was very kind of mm. serving my audience, but very self-reflective, almost selfish. You could call it still is in a lot of ways. Now, I think it's interesting because I remember when I saw what you were doing, the decision to go more community focused, yep, yep. which you clearly did because you were an author, an expert, a coach. You could have done exactly what I did and made mm. it the Robert Garish flying solo show. You yep. just publish your own content, build up your own brand, you know, do like I did, release your own course, you know, become a speaker, which you have done anyway. Yep. But why did you choose that path and, and go the community forum route, which I'll be honest, I think is often harder mm. to reach a critical mass where, like you said, you can make a full-time income. Like I know you and Sam, you're obviously eventually you did from yep. this business, but that's a hard slog to get the traffic, especially targeting owning Australia, which is not a yes. big audience. No, well, that's that. look, that's all very true. And it's, you know, hearing you say that, everything you said is absolutely spot on. And I, you know, I absolutely, I've just got to tell you, I remember so much the way you were doing things. And for a good number of years, I was looking at what I was doing, thinking, oh, my gosh, should I be doing it the way Yara is doing it? Because I think you were absolutely one of the pioneers in the work that you were doing and the way you were speaking so openly about yourself and your business. And I did for many years. I looked at what we were doing, what you were doing, and I was thinking, hmm, have I made the right decision here? And I still don't know. I guess to answer your question, why did we go the way we wanted, the way we went? I think it's because I always really wanted to create something that kind of lived beyond me, that was bigger than me. And I can look at it now and I can say that I really did look to build a business where I could exit the business. That was always a plan. And, you know, whilst we ran for 12 years, which was, you know, a long time before we exited, it was always there. I was always thinking, right, if I'm ever going to actually sell this business, then I can't have my name above the door. You know, I just can't do that. There was a constant wrestle because, yes, you're quite right. I do do speaking. I love speaking. I love presenting. So I was always trying to work out how can I keep my profile there without creating a business that an outsider might look at and go, well, that's just robertgerrish.com, but it's called Flying Solo. You know, so I was really very careful. And with Sam and with Peter, who joined us as our third partner, you know, we very carefully orchestrated that, designed it in a way that we were there 
running the business, but we weren't kind of front of house. Mm. So it was, you know, it was a very conscious thing. But I'm not, I can't say to you that every day that we did it, I was thinking, ha ha ha, aren't we clever? Not at all. I was often thinking, hmm, should I be doing what Yara is doing? Should I be doing what other people were doing like that? But it worked out well for us. And with the, you know, we did some odd things, like the fact that we did keep the community very Australia focused it was a bit of an odd decision. But Frankly, it was done for two reasons. One is it's a financial decision. When you've got an, an Australian ad agency representing you at a time when brands weren't, even though the internet was you know, clearly up and cranking, brands still weren't really thinking kind of worldwide promotion in, this, in the way that they are now. So it was sensible for us you know, it meant our business became viable that we could say to potential advertisers and sponsors, all our eyeballs are Australian eyeballs. You know, so it was an, an essential thing. But also what we found from that is that our forum community actually really liked that. And to this day, they still do. They love the fact that they're talking with people that have not only the same business challenges, but the same sort of geographic influences. And some people may still look at it and think, well, that's a little bit odd. But I think what we see in a lot of publishing now, you know, with some of the bigger players, Guardian and, you know, other news titles that, that create a local version with local content and local writers. So we've kind of done that. We just, we just haven't replicated ourselves anywhere else. But, you know, I'm hoping that the new owners will have their eye on doing something like that. We just got so busy doing what we're doing that we just con stayed concentrating on Australia. Did that answer your question? It's ironic because I obviously questioned myself, should I be mm. doing it how Robert and Sam are doing it? And, <laughs> you know, especially because you talk about making something you can sell. And I, mm. I knew that despite having Entrepreneur's Journey as a domain name and a sure. brand, it was the Yarrow show. And, and if I tried to sell it, most of the value kind of disappears when Yarrow disappears, where mm. certainly that was not the case with, with Flying Solo. Which kind of leads me to, I think, a, a relevant question for the listener. They're probably wondering, how exactly do you, I guess I'll preface this by mm. the fact that you at least had three partners who were living off this company, this online yep. content business focused yep. on a, a fairly niche market in Australia. So it, it did well enough to do that. How did you turn a community content-based website? What was essentially the, well, two things. What was the the traffic slash value engine and how did you monetize it to support all three of you? Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, interesting. So in fact, by the time we actually ended up with a little team of nine of us, but okay. uh, within that, three of us are partners. Two of us worked full-time, that's Peter and myself. Sam worked part-time, so roughly sort of a half to a, a third of a week. And then all the other people just did very much, you know, piecemeal work. as a forum moderation, editing, sub-editing, SEO, you know, all those little roles. So in terms of overall manpower, you know, there's nine people, but there weren't that many man hours in the business, if that makes sense. So how do we do it? Well, the thing is, I guess one thing to bear in mind is the small business audience were and still are a very valuable audience. So, and they're very difficult to get to, particularly, it's not just in Australia, but particularly in Australia, you know, where we've got, I think it's something like two out of five households have got a little business in it, somebody running some kind of business. Now, the thing is, 
not many people know who those people are, no matter how much survey and statistics and, you know, we have the Australian Bureau of Statistics, we have people that register for our GST, goods and services tax. But even through all those various means, still an awful lot of this audience, our audience, are extremely difficult to tie down and, and approach and talk to with a message. So the fact that we built, I forget exactly what our monthly uh, unique visitors are up to, but, you know, 200 and something thousand or whatever it was, a bit more than that now, I think, I forgive me, I'm hopeless at remembering all that. But it became very obvious very quickly once we spoke to our ad agency and then we, in fact, switched and went to a better and better agency to the point now where the agency that we've had or they have for the last few years are just, you know, an incredible outfit. And they've really can sell our eyeballs because they're so hard to get to you know a really hard group to get the attention of and because we had forums that were busy sort of 24 7 with you know we moderated if you you'll i'm sure remember this we moderated the forums very tightly not in a way i think that cramps anyone's style but you know a lot of forums can get overrun with spammers and self-promoters and can just be not very nice places to be we've never allowed ours to get out of control in that sense so we moderate things very clearly we have within our social media communities again very tight moderation very constant moderation so you'll never see you know, you'll never go anywhere and find something that hasn't been updated or a comment that's been ignored or, you know, we're kind of all over our community, if you like. So that, I think, from a very early stage, reassured members that this was a real thing. You know, this was a real community, which meant that our engagement is always very good. So we were able then, and we decided not to do any of our own in-house selling of advertising and sponsorship because that was not our skill set. We're good as writers. We're good as community members. You know, we love small business, but we're not there to sort of sell our advertising and sponsorship. But the say the crew we had were extremely good. And yeah, to an extent, it kind of surprised us because initially for the first few years, it was very much a business that we ran alongside our other work. But then it became, it just became more serious. I mean, we were never swimming in cash. I'm not going to pretend that it was a hugely lucrative business, but it allowed the three of us or the nine of us to live exactly how we wanted to live. And I'm, in my book, it doesn't get better than that, you know, so it was, it was just perfect. And the, you know, I'm sure we'll get on to why we, or when we decided to sell and why, you know, and that process also was, has just been a very natural sort of evolution of the business. Mm. Yeah. Before I ask you about that, I'm very curious about that. I am interested to sort of cover what were the, the big milestone moments or challenges in growing flying solo, especially in terms of big lessons you guys learn yeah, along okay. the way? Because it's a lot of time here. We're talking 12 years of running an online content business. And I think you know, if I drilled it down with you, I'd sit here and ask you about SEO and how you got your traffic mm. and you know, with the advertising agency, you know, how does that actually work? But I don't want to get stuck too much in the fine details. Sure. But if you could sure. pass on, you know, the big points, it'd be useful. Yeah, well, look, most definitely. A few things I think I've personally learned so much in this in this wonderful 12 years. I mean, honestly, in 12 years, I've not had a bad day at the office, and that's pretty good. And one of the main things is we have always surrounded ourselves with just lovely people. So, 
we are kind of process of finding new people. The lovely thing about sort of being involved in a community is people just pop up. You know, you just see people, whether it's in the forums or at events that we ran, and people would often just kind of just pop up and we go, wow, she's a great person. We've got to find somewhere in our business for someone like that. She's so good. And that was so we had this sort of slightly hippie-ish approach to recruitment is that not often did we actually go looking for someone specific, but someone would pop up and we kind of design a job around it. You know, we just recognized really lovely people and brought them into the business. So that was that was something that was somewhat accidental but really effective. One other particular thing that we did is we we were kind of we were very slow, <laughs> which I still laugh at because you know everyone talks about doing things fast. We didn't do anything fast, and you were probably you're probably nodding your head now. You know, there, when we launched our forums, we didn't launch those until 2008, so over three years after we started. And by the time you launched them, you know, people were just banging the door down. It was like you built a pub and you kept the doors locked. You know, it was just ridiculous. <laughs> people were trying to have kind of social conversations through article comments. You know, if you remember what that was like in the mm-hmm. early 2000s, it was a mess. So, you know, but we we just did it slowly. And it wasn't intentionally slowly. It's just how we worked because, the, you know, there were really only three of us at that point and we had other things to do and we all had young kids as well. But so we opened our forums. By the time we opened them, people just stormed in. So that was, a, in hindsight, a really cool decision to delay until the, the crowd were really wanting to get in and talk. Because as you would know from your own experience, or not so necessarily from your, from your experience, but from your observation, is you will see that a forum that hasn't got many people in it, that's a hard business. That's a hard business to grow. You know, you trying to find people to come in and chat in a forum, really difficult. Well, we didn't, we never had that problem because we'd left it so long. The people burst in the doors and our job then was just to quickly get some guidelines in place and some rules and, you know, make it happen. And that's what we did. So that was certainly a, a really key milestone for us and a really important lesson. There was that sort of delay. The other things I would say is that, you know, with slowness kind of permeates a lot of our, our kind of business history. And uh, we made a decision as a business that, you know, we weren't, as long as we were a, f- a few steps ahead of our community, then that was an okay place to be. We didn't have to trailblaze. You know, we didn't have to be the first people that were all over SEO when SEO became a thing. We didn't have to be the first people that were into podcasting when podcasting became a thing. We sat back and we had a look and we observed and we watched. And then when the time when we were good and ready, we launched something. And you know, again, what will often what often did happen to us is our community would say, "Guys, you need to have a think about SEO. Do you know? Do you even know what it is?" You know, we'd have comments like that in our forums, and and then we go, "Actually, no, we don't know. We better find out about that." So, <laughs> you know, and that's that's how we did things. We did things at the point when it just got to the point, the stage when it was so glaringly bloody obvious that we should do something that we did it. We were never early adopters of anything. And I think in hindsight, that's all, that's been really good for us. It's all a matter of kind of, I think, really knowing who your audience are. Now, you know, for you, if I look at you and your business, 
you can't really be like that, I, I don't think, through entrepreneur's journey. You know, you've always been, from what I observe, a trailblazer. We would often see what you're up to and go, okay, well, in about a year's time, we better start <laughs> thinking about what Yara's doing. You know, but, but we had, there was no demand for us to be that fast, to be at the front. As long as, say, as long as we're a good few steps ahead of our mass, of our, the heartland of our community, then we were doing okay. Mm-hmm. And we would often write in our forums, yeah, you know, we'd say things like, yeah, we've heard about that too. We're not really sure yet, but, you know, you know, don't worry, we'll come back once we've worked out what we're doing. And that's how we'd approach it. That's how we, how we did so many things. I think the other thing that I would say was a very good decision with us is that we chose our agency really well. You know, we made ourselves very attractive in terms of the audience that we had, but we pitched high. You know, we really, uh, I look at um, the agencies that we worked with and we were very fortunate to get any of them, I think, because we were a small business. But we were always very, you know, very professional in everything that we did. We had a, you know, everything was absolutely you know, transparent in terms of our stats and our, you know, this was a time when in the early days, Often there were, there were people, I won't name names, but competitors in our industry who were making up all sorts of stuff about figures and eyeballs. It was just complete rubbish. But we decided at the outset, no, we're going to do this properly. We signed up with Nielsen, who were at the time, you know, the best kind of measure of of real traffic. And even though their figures that they spat out were about a third of what, what Google was, Google Analytics was giving anyone, you know, we made the commitment at the beginning to go with the right people that would give what the agency really wanted, mm. if that makes sense. Yes. You know? We didn't mess about with any of that. We gave them everything that they wanted. And even sometimes they come back and go, well, look, it's great that we've got these real figures, but unfortunately, you know, we're going to have to, to kind of draw our estimates back because you haven't got enough people yet. I mean, okay, well, let us work on that. So, you know, we'd, we'd do that. We we ran, we did a lot of live events. We got involved in, particularly in Facebook, relatively early on. You know, I would forever be out talking at small business events and networking groups and things. And, you know, the thing that, that really, I think, I guess, the one piece that's still, to my mind, is proof, you know, that it really still works is this whole word of mouth thing. And I know word of mouth is chucked around a bit these days. But when you're running a community like this, there is nothing more powerful, I don't think, no matter what you do with SEO and, and email campaigns or anything else, there's nothing more powerful than a small business owner walking into a group of other small business owners and saying, hey, guess what? You should check out this thing called Flying Solo. And that's what we put a lot of effort into making sure that people did that. Mm. You know, we talk about us to other people in real life situations. And, and that really grew our base so much. But it, it's not just the numbers, but it was the just the value of those people because they were people that really were committed to us. You know, and to this day, if somebody sends a note through Flying Solo saying, can you help me with this? One of us, I say us, I'm, I'm, I still do a little bit of consulting with them. Someone's going to respond to that and they're going to respond a lot quicker than you think. You know, and we've always done that. You know, we've always been incredibly responsive to anybody who asks a question about anything. Mm. 
And so I think that, you know, I look at your wonderful businesses, particularly the business that you're involved in now, there is magic when you actually give a very genuinely personal response to somebody. Yes, it's time intensive. Yes, it it takes a bit of business design to kind of make it viable. But if you can make it viable, there's just nothing to beat it. Mm. Oh, so much good advice in there, Robert. And you triggered so many things. I remember thinking about how good a domain name and a, a title flying solo is. You just remember that. But then I also mm. remember thinking, why don't you have the .com? You've only got the .com.au. But mm. again, as you just answered that question, you said like, you kind of harken back to how you were doing things slowly and you were kind yeah. of reacting a year later and, figure, and reacting mm. to your community. And in my mind, I'm thinking, why are you able to get away with that? Why isn't the competition just zooming in and crushing you by acting quicker, getting a podcast up quicker, getting, you know, yeah. doing better SEO quicker? And I kind of think I, the, the reason why you, you got away with so much of that is your core strength was always what you just talked about, the community mm. that you grew through word of mouth. And it was obviously powered by this forum and the content you were also releasing on the site that you can't really replicate and kept everything sticky so that you always had that asset so that you could act a little slower. You could work with an agency and slowly build up enough traffic to you know, get good return on that. And then, yeah, it just comes down to that one thing or maybe two things there that you guys did consistently well that mm. allowed you to kind of build your castle your own way. And I really like that. And I love that message for the audience too. Yeah, it's lovely to hear you say that back to me. And it, it is is the consistency is the thing. You know, it's funny, we used to, um, we ran some fairly biggish live events well, you know, 350 people, 200 Australian dollars a ticket. So they were, you know, they, they were made a noticeable, you know, impact on our on our revenue. And they took a lot of time, you know, we used to run those events with a dozen speakers and three streams and breakout rooms and networking, big productions. And we had very good sponsorship of those by the big end of town, you know, banks and telcos as well. But the, the thing that was always interesting to me is that you know, when we did those for ourselves and we also got involved in um, in other people's events like with the Victorian government, we've been involved with them for the last four or five years for a big festival they have down in Victoria. And we go to, you know, I, I remember that one particularly where every year I would go there with Peter, we'd, we'd set up our little stand that we were given as part of our sort of association with them. And we'd stand there for eight hours. You know what standing at events are like, they're exhausting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we do it, and we, you know, this is after we've been going for 10 years and you know we've we've been around a lot and we've been doing quite a few things but still i'd be there for 10 hours and every single person not every single person but most people who came up and go uh who are you i've not heard of you guys what do you guys do and it was like oh my god really you know where have you been and i get i sort of get get frustrated but then i realized that's the nature of the world you know you can there are a whole lot of people who know us and a whole lot of people are engaged with us but there's still a massive number of people who've just never heard of us and I, I just think that opportunity, it, I used to come back from those things feeling exhilarated that there are so many, you know, I didn't, I'd start off for the first half an hour getting fed up that uh, hasn't anyone heard of us. But by the end of the day, I go, oh, you know what? There's so much opportunity here. And I've never been to an event where I haven't come away from it thinking, 
there's so many more people to touch, mm. so many poor people to get to. You know, I would say that during the course of those days, there'd always be someone coming out who'd say, I love you guys, or, you know, they'd wave. We get, we get enough of that. But then if you're already, if you're at a conference and you're walking around, there's all these stands there and you're already part of what you don't go over to the, you know, the NRMA or the RAC and say, hey, I'm a member of yours. Who want, you know, don't, no one does that. So it's understandable that the people that come to you really are the people that don't know you. Mm. And, you know, that just never ceases to amaze me that with all the reach and all the social media and all the things you do, you can still walk out just about anywhere and be amazed by how many people have never heard of you. And, you know, that's just, just the world. You might have to aspire to mainstream celebrity, get your, uh, <laughs> you know, get your, <laughs> yeah, yeah. your Donald Trump or your Kim Kardashian going, Robert, that'll get you that <laughs> worldwide yeah, notoriety. So let's move on. You obviously, <laughs> you built this great business flying solo. And, you know, I'll be honest, I kind of, I don't want to say this word, I didn't forget about you guys, but you certainly... No disappeared. I, I left Australia. Yep. But I just assumed, like I guess everyone does, you're just, you know, plucking away, building a business, serving your community. It's funding nine people. And then just recently, I, I can't remember exactly when it was, but certainly within the last 12 months, I see on Facebook a message from your co-founder or partner, Sam Leader, saying mm. that we're basically sharing this news article that most Australians will know this name, Kochi, David Koch, who's a bit of yep. a television personality in Australia, known yep. in the kind of finance business world. He does like a morning television show, at least he did when I left. Yeah, still does. Certainly got mainstream fame in Australia, had mm. acquired your business. So I was like, yep. wow, okay, that's really interesting. And I think, you know, you came and said hello to me, maybe a month or two or three after I saw that mm. announcement. And yeah, that's why we're doing this podcast, obviously. So sure. I'd love to know, to sort of, like you said, complete the bookends here. How did you reach the point that you wanted to sell? Was this something you actively pursued or did they approach you? How did it all come to pass? Yeah, okay. Well, that's, I'd love to tell you about that. It's interesting how that happened. So if you, if you wind the clock back again, remember that at the outset, we kind of thought... Let's build a business that one day we might sell. That was always sort of there somewhere. And I think, you know, I think all of us in life, we carry through certain things that we've had from our life experience, our families and so on. And my father was a small business owner and he became ill at about the age I am now, funnily enough, in his mid 60s. I'm in my early 60s, his mid 60s, he became very ill and he kind of couldn't get out of his business. And it all ended very unfortunately for him. And by the time he died at 64, he really didn't have anything. He'd hung on to his business for too long. And this is, this, I've always kind of had this throughout my career thinking, I'm not going to do that, dad, I'm not going to do that. And so that was my drive. And Sam had a similar sort of drive in her and, and Peter too. So we, we all sort of had it there. And what did actually happen a couple of years ago, we were approached by a company who uh, were interested in buying us. And so, you know, we, we thought, okay, okay, yeah, you know, that's, this is exciting. So we went through the whole due diligence process with them, which means they have a good look at everything. You know, they get all your accounts and all your systems and processes. And happily, that was a pretty well a cinch for us to pull all that together because we had from day one really set our business up well. You know, we had procedures and systems all written down for every single part of the job of the business. Every role that everybody had was all very clearly defined. So it's very straightforward for us to get all that stuff together. I mean, it took time, but we got it all together. 
And we went through this process with these guys and they were looking at us and they were talking to our agency and they were looking at our community and all of this and got all our figures, facts and figures and everything. And at the time this was going on, I was kind of getting to the opinion, I don't like these people very much. Peter, who was working closely with me on it, he he was, you know, he's 20 years my junior. So for him, it was a slightly different stage of life. And also I owned, I did own the majority of the shares. So it was a bigger thing for me than it was going to be for him. And anyway, so there was me going about, I'm not sure if I like these people very much. And Peter was saying, can we just sell it? And there was a possibility of a nice sort of job for both of us in there for a while as well, and and possibly Sam. Anyway, we went through that process with these guys. And at the end of it, they came up with an offer, and it was it was just a woeful offer. And by the end of that, I really didn't like that at all <laughs> after that. I said, well, you can go away, in not so many words. But so they went away and with a flea in the area. But the process of going through all that was very interesting. And it's funny how when you actually get through that process, how it can impact you and it impacted me in a way that I thought I felt so incensed when they came up with such a, a silly offer because I thought I'd you know reminded myself of our value through this whole process and it's not just value in terms of our revenue or on you know it's all about our engagement and our reach and our relationships with with government and state and federal government and all these other organizations and our blue chip advertising and sponsorship clients that we'd had for years you know there was real value there and I understood that more having gone through that process so anyway those guys went away and but we had this you know google drive document with all our data in it and so I announced to Sam and Peter, I said, right, well, look, my job for the next 12 months is to find us somebody who is going to be more serious about us and will give us give us and the brand the future that we want. So that was my project at the beginning of 2017 was to work out how to sell this business and to find the right person. Now, I should just wind the clock back a tiny bit more again and say the main drive for us actually was that for us to really succeed as an online publisher, we either needed to develop a whole lot of new skills that we didn't currently have or buy those skills in or partner with somebody or sell to somebody. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean, it's no longer just about creating content and publishing content. What we would being asked to do more and more is create more video content or audio content or get involved in live streaming or lots of different activities that frankly wasn't our skill set and not necessarily what's personally what I really wanted to do you know I didn't want to do all that stuff so it was a good time to look around at some other people so what we did the process actually that I kind of pulled together was so simple it, it still makes me smile I joined uh, LinkedIn premium for their free 30-day offer cheapskate that I am <laughs> um, I thought sat down and thought seriously about who are the people that might be interested in us and I looked at all the um, sort of publishers that are in a similar space. I also then looked at other sort of brands, other sectors that were, could maybe benefit from having a community plugged into them. So some of the cloud accounting people, you know, Intuit, QuickBooks, you know, Zero, MYB, all those people. I also looked at other organizations like uh, domain registration companies, so NetRegistry and Melbourne IT and a few other, GoDaddy and a few other of those people. So we pulled together a list of, okay, these people could be interested. And then we had a couple of sort of oddball, you know, kind of side hustle type people that we could have a talk with as well. And I reached out to all of those people via LinkedIn and I just said, and I just told them the truth. I said, hey, 
I've been doing this for this long. This is who we are. This is what we've done. I'm in my 60s. Peter is in his 40s. Sam was happy to sort of exit completely at that juncture. And Sam had been running all our sort of admin, staffing and financial side of the business. So we knew that that would be unlikely to be a role that would necessarily, you know, be sought by the by any new buyers. So those are the conversations we had. I just contacted these people and going, hey, this is who we are. This is what we've been doing. We're, we'd like to have a chat. And I didn't really say much more than that. And so we did. And I contacted probably a dozen people. And of those, I think everyone responded. But I think maybe six or seven actually wanted to have a meeting with us. And in those meetings, you know, I, I didn't use the we're for sale language necessarily. I just said, hey, you know, this is who we are. This is what we've done. This is who I am. This is who Peter is. We reckon you could do with the community. What do you think? Is there any merit in us talking? In a very short space of time, we got into a conversation with three people, two publishers and one of our uh, left field people who was a um, an entrepreneur, a very cashed up entrepreneur who was also very interested. And so began a, a really delightful process of negotiation between um, us and these these three people and mm. it was I loved every I loved <laughs> every minute of it. I don't know whether it's because my first job ever was was selling cars, but I just loved the whole deal process and you know I've made a promise to myself right at the beginning that I would never tell a fib to anybody at any point in the process. You know, never mind a lie, I wouldn't tell a fib. I wouldn't say anything <laughs> that wasn't 100% truthful. And I'm very happy to say I went through the whole process being true to my word. It was it was just lovely. And Is, is that a fib, Robert? Right there? <laughs> no, it's not a fib. No. no. I tell you what, I very nearly, I'll tell you one thing, I got so near to fibbing where it ended up that we had two serious contenders. So that was Koshi who ended up buying us and another big Australian publisher based in Melbourne. And so Sydney knew there was a Melbourne buyer and Melbourne knew there was a <laughs> Sydney buyer, but they didn't, we didn't name names but we also had still had this one slightly left field oddball guy and he was also based in melbourne and so you know i was saying to melbourne well you know sydney have upped it to this so you need to make some changes if you're going to be in the running <laughs> all this stuff and then we had a meet so we thought we were going to be selling to the company in melbourne but then literally at the 11th hour the the chairman of that company ran me and said look i'm sorry we're pulling out and he pulled out for really good, solid reasons. You know, there was a real reason why at that point it was not right for his company to go ahead. But we had a meeting like half an hour later with with Koshi and this other left field guy. But he was, frankly, a little bit away with the Pixies. He, one, one minute he'd be there, next minute I wouldn't hear from him for weeks. So I kind of given up on him completely. But as we were literally walking across from one part of the scene to the other to meet with Koshi, uh, he rang me, This the oddball guy rang me and said, are you still available? Is it st are you st I said, yeah, 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 still, it's still possible. So by the time we got to Koshi, we sat down and first thing that uh, Koshi said to me is, are Melbourne still in the picture? <laughs> See where this is going? Okay. <laughs> yeah, and I said, yes, Melbourne is still in the picture. And so it wasn't a fit, but it was the slightly left field guy. They came to the party and, and we, we signed there and then. So that was that was that. And the great news is Peter, my one of my partners, got a fabulous job with within Koshi's group. Uh, Sam is very happy to, as I say, to have exited and spend she's writing a book and and she has three young kids. And I still do a sort of consulting thing with Flying Seller where I still do their podcasts and I 
speak at their events and write articles and do bits and pieces. But I mean, Koshi's crew, just perfect fit, perfect. And you said you've written another book. So is, is that yeah. in any way connected? Well, no, <laughs> it's not really. Well, the book is called The One Minute Commute. And it's basically a book that's all about how to run a small one-person home-based business. And it's everything I knew when I wrote The Flying Solo book in 2005, plus 12 years of, of real close observation with, you know, 100-odd thousand people that are doing it. So it's a thicker, bigger more complete book and it coincidentally launched uh, well it actually launched two weeks ago in Australia and I've just come back from a little trip down to Melbourne it's so nice to see booking all these bookshops in the airports and things so mm. but it's it's ironic that uh, yeah I launched the business just after writing a book and I've written a book just after selling the business so but it wasn't designed it was somewhat accidental but uh, that's funny how the world goes, isn't it? Mm. Well, we'll make sure both books are in the show notes for this episode. Uh, I know you've got a very important lunch meeting coming up in five minutes, <laughs> Robert. Got to make, make my salad toasted sandwich, yes. That's <laughs> yes. Right. There are so many questions I have about the, the sales process and, and everything that happened. It's such an exciting, like you said, it sounds like you loved it, way of, of mm. exiting your company. But not enough time, but I do have one last question that I want sure. to get out there for, for the mm. listeners. So, you know, we've got people who are probably about to start their first company or maybe are in the middle of running some kind of online business and they might be thinking about exiting. What's your advice now having gone through the whole gauntlet to them? Is there like, would you do things differently? Would you say just do exactly what you did, build something slowly, find the perfect buyer and then, you know, gracefully exit and write a book. <laughs> what's, what's your advice? Well, look, I, I wouldn't do much differently, to be honest, because it, if I say, if I look back on 12 years, I've loved every minute of those 12 years. So why would anyone want to change any of that? So I wouldn't. But I, I would say to anybody starting now, I do think that the key thing really is absolutely understanding. I mean, it just sounds, I, I sound so silly saying it, but is really understanding who you serve. And just having the courage all the time to look at, is what I'm doing good for the people that I serve? Because if you start doing we never ran our business or looked at things and, and thought, well, if we do that, we'll make more money. If we do that, we'll, we, never, we never felt like that. We never thought like that. Um, we always thought, well, is this what people want? You know, is this what our audience wants? Is, are they going to like this? That was at the core of everything that we did. You know, we stuck with that. And so I think, and if you look around at, you know, startup failure, the, the biggest reason for failure that I've, I've seen repeated a number of times by a number of research is that there's no market need for what the people are doing. And you just think, well, how can that be? It's because often we get started in business, we make a little bit, we do a little bit here, but in truth, there's not enough need for what we're doing. And that's the bit we've got to focus on is do, do people want what you're doing? Do people want what you're doing? And if they don't, we'll go, you know, if they don't appear to, go out and talk to them some more, find out what it is that they want. I just keep focused on that because if you get, you know, before we record today, Yara, you were saying, I forget the exact phrase that you use, but it's this notion of, you know, you found something with your latest work where you're answering a real pain that people have, a real pain that people have. A and that pill. A pill for a headache. headache pill. Yeah. That's right. And that is the business you want. That's the business you want. And if you haven't got it, then keep redesigning it until you do. Because when you've got that, 
then everything becomes any number of options become possible you know and the the other final point i'd say to that is you know there's a the, the phrase that's often used is design with the end in mind you know design your exit from day one well you know who does that no one does that but it would be good if you did and that's one thing i realized in hindsight is we've kind of you know we got away with it okay but we could have done it better if from day one we'd really thought right what we're building here is a brand not a personal brand not a thing for each individual but we're building a brand something that the people are going to love if i could have held that a bit stronger all the way through i think that could have been beneficial as it was we by dint of the fact that we were listening to the wisdom of the crowd all day every day you know they our community really turned us into into the strong business that we became more so than than the people running it we were you know it's it's like a pub and some some people in the forums did did um, liken our community to a pub in the our job in the pub we were we're the people that wipe the bar down, make sure the music's not too loud, throw out rowdy people, rearrange the furniture, repaint every couple of years. That's our job. And that when you know when we finally realise that's who we are, that's what we've got to do. We've got to create the place where people are comfortable and people feel supported. That's when we really got our value. Whereas at the beginning, I was thinking, no, no, I'm the guy that's going to stand on the bar and tell them how good I am and how, you know, and do all that expert stuff. But then I realized no one wants that in a pub. You know, they don't want that. They don't want the person bashing through the door going, look at me, look at me. That's not what that's not what makes for a good community. So, you know, I'm just running on a bit here now. But those are <laughs> things in hindsight that I've realized is, but it, it's always thinking of, of what is it you do what headache do your people have that what pill are you creating and just just don't move from that great advice robert and advice that comes from 12 years now of, of growing a content-based online business in a niche market of australia small business mm. owners so I, I, there's so many good lessons for the audience for the audience if they want to see what you're up to today where can they find uh, now the expert robert garish <laughs> <laughs> well, that's lovely. Well, they'll find me at robertgerrish.com. So I'm playing around with some things there. I've got a, a new podcast called Mellow Brick Road, where I speak with people that are doing interesting, creative things. And uh, I mean, I'm kind of freewheeling for the for the next 12 months. I'm not worried about where I go. I just want to just I'm looking for my sort of con next connection point. And I'm re just really going out being a bit of a investigative journalist with people that are running businesses and um and looking for my next new little direction so it'll be fun well thank you for spending some time today to to close the books and finish <laughs> the story it's been great to hear the success and I, I love hearing an exit from a business so congratulations robert thank you yara thank you so much Hey, this is Yarrow. If you enjoyed this episode of the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast and you'd like to receive an email every time we release a brand new interview as well as receive a series of the very best EJ podcast interviews from the archives, then I recommend you go straight away to Interviews Club. That's interviewsclub.com. Enter your email address there and then you'll be signed up to receive all the latest podcast episodes as soon as they're released. You'll get an email directly direct to your inbox. That's interviewsclub.com. Here's a sneak peek for the next episode. 
my first ever launch campaign. I had these 400 members who expected to get a lesson a week, plus do coaching teleconferences with me. Over the following months, I realized that this was the wrong model to use for what I was teaching. I had a very high attrition rate. People were canceling very quickly. It was like even before the end of the first month, I think I was down 10 or 20% of my membership. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast, the original entrepreneur interview podcast established in 2005. For more episodes, head over to ejpodcast.com. See you next time.